The Lord be with you. It's Michael Solomink of Lutherans for Life with the Life-Minded Podcast, equipping gospel-motivated voices for life. Louise Joy Brown entered this world three weeks after me. On July 25, 1978, John and Leslie Brown gave birth to the first child in human history conceived through in vitro fertilization. At Oldham General Hospital in Lancashire, England, near Manchester and Liverpool, Louise weighed 5 pounds 12 ounces, only 1 ounce less than I did at delivery. Media at the time referred to her as a test tube baby, but her fertilization actually happened in a Petri dish. Dr. Robert Edwards won the 2010 Nobel Prize in Medicine for developing this process, along with Pat Patrick Steptoe, and Gene Purdy. Authorities estimated at that time that in vitro fertilization had led to the births of about 4 million children. But the Roman Catholic Church condemned the award as completely out of order, and ethicists and theologians continue to debate IVF today. How does in vitro fertilization work? IVF often begins before any testing or treating for fertility disorders. Diagnosing and remedying can become complicated and time-consuming, and so the desire for a live birth, not necessarily healthy biology, is what drives the IVF industry. Technology defines it more than medicine does. Usually, the process starts with intensive drugs. These chemicals make a woman's body produce extra eggs. Instead of only one ovum per monthly cycle, she releases 10, 20, even 50. Technicians then have to collect them by drawing fluid from the women's ovaries. They also harvest the father-to-be's gametes. This may require masturbation or extracting sperm directly from the man's testicles. Sometimes the man's or the woman's body may have deficiencies. In these instances, IVF attempts use eggs or sperm from donors. After this, the specialists combine the reproductive cells in a laboratory container. The Latin phrase in vitro translates into English as in a glass. Not every mingling of sperm and egg yields an embryo. Because of IVF's expenses and intervals, the clinics almost always try to make multiple embryos. Also, not every embryo formed survives. And not every embryo transferred from the lab to the womb implants. So doctors monitor them in the Petri dish for a few days and grade their appearance. To increase the odds, they select only the best-looking ones for transfer. Any remaining acceptable embryos. They may freeze in cold nitrogen cryogenic stasis for future use. Budgets dictate that embryo storage occurs in groups of two to five, known as straws, rather than individually. Typically, physicians transfer a few or even several embryos from a straw at one time and hope that at least one makes it. Sometimes more than one embryo does implant. The majority of multiple births in the United States twins and triplets or more, result from IVF. Many practitioners recommend selective reduction, which means aborting the additional babies. They believe this improves the resources and chances available to the desired child. The parents can discard the leftover embryos along with the facility's medical waste. They can also designate them for research that will dissect them in experiments, and they can donate them to other couples who want to carry 
pregnancy to term. What dangers does in vitro fertilization involve? In vitro fertilization poses threats to the mother's health and safety. More than 10% develop ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome. This serious condition causes symptoms such as abdominal pain, excessive weight gain, nausea and diarrhea, blood clots, respiratory distress and fluid accumulation, certain reproductive system cancers, cysts on the ovaries which may rupture and hemorrhage, and even death. And every step of the IVF sequence appears to endanger the embryos. It only takes a quarter of a second for sperm and egg to unite in a phenomenon that dramatically, chemically, and structurally transforms them both. The two somethings cease to exist, and a third someone comes into being. From this moment, each embryo belongs to the same human race and species as you and me. Science cannot accurately classify him or her according to any other category. He or she has his or her own 46 chromosomes, more than either the sperm or the egg, this genetic fingerprint makes him or her a separate and different individual than any other ever before or ever after. The embryo is living according to the accepted scientific definition. He or she reacts to stimuli, metabolizes, grows or reproduces, and undergoes respiration. Every embryo also meets the technical criteria to count as an autonomous organism instead of just part of another. He or she develops toward a mature form and function, coordinates his or her own body's processes toward the well-being of the whole, adapts to the environment, and repairs damage. In fact, the only differences between us now and in our embryonic state, size, level of development, environment or location, and degree of dependency, these differences do not matter to our value. Holy Scripture also explicitly identifies unborn children, even the earliest embryos, as human persons, created, redeemed, and called by God himself in his image to be his own precious treasures. We must take their safety as seriously as he does and treat them to the same respect and protection we offer one another. But in vitro fertilization with donor gametes may intentionally separate the child from one biological parent or both of them. Freezing the embryos for storage does bring about the damage or death of some of them, and discarding or dissecting them definitely does. Because IVF sometimes disregards underlying disorders, the woman's womb may be less conducive to implantation or even inhospitable to pregnancy. Placing embryos into these hospitals surroundings, even with the best sentiments, exposes them to an unsafe environment. We may be preventably setting them in harm's way. Some 75% of IVF cycles fail, and only 7.5% of embryos fertilized survive to birth. Occasionally, clinics misidentify gametes and engineer fertilization with the wrong ones, or technicians accidentally introduce the wrong embryos into the client's uterus. Research also indicates that IVF increases the chances of adverse pregnancy outcomes for both mother and child, particularly when mother's womb already has impairments or is hosting multiple babies at once. These pregnancies have higher rates of blood transfusion during delivery, vaginal lacerations, 
infections, gestational diabetes, birth defects, and NICU admissions. And the little ones run greater risk of suffering high blood pressure, high blood sugar, obesity, vascular dysfunction, certain cancers including leukemia, heart diseases, and rare genetic disorders. The rejection of unattractive embryos and the choosing of donor gametes amounts to eugenics, a discredited pseudoscientific venture into designer babies and breeding socially undesirable qualities out of humankind. While taking certain careful measures, such as less aggressive collection methods or fertilizing and implanting only single embryos, may mitigate some of these ethical concerns, other obstacles remain intrinsically part of IVF in any form. Maybe most importantly, in vitro fertilization sidesteps the one flesh union in which our almighty maker connects marriage, sexuality, procreation, and parenting together with all their blessings. And all along the way, IVF invites and perhaps even encourages people to lay greater weight upon adult desires than upon the best interests of the children. In a moment, we'll look into embryo adoption and whether opposing in vitro fertilization means condemning the parents or children it creates. You're listening to Life Minded from Lutherans for Life. Sanctity of human life is about more than abortion. The grace of God in the gospel of Jesus treasures humankind from fertilization to forever. And Lutherans for Life celebrates everyone. Our library of resources can help you think courageously and speak compassionately about issues like living with disability, biotechnology, modesty and chastity, marriage and parenting, infertility and contraception, adoption, and so much more. Visit lutheransforlife.org and let's learn how to be pro-life for the whole life. Do you want to celebrate the sanctity of human life without the anger and the fear? You need help speaking about life issues with courage and compassion? Life Date is for you. Lutherans for Life's quarterly journal, Life Date, gives you 32 pages of gospel motivation, articles by experts, and information on life issues and events from the Lutheran perspective. Digital and physical subscriptions are completely free. Get your Life Date today at lutheransforlife.org. Welcome back to Life Minded, the podcast of Lutherans for Life, equipping gospel-motivated voices for life. I'm Michael Solomon. Today we're talking about in vitro fertilization. We've heard how IVF works and considered the dangers it involves. Now we're turning our attention to embryo adoption. What about embryo adoption? Experts estimate over 1 million IVF embryos currently reside in frozen prisons. Abandoned by parents who believe they have completed their families and convince themselves they cannot care for them, these little ones live confined to suspended animation in refrigerated canisters. A responsible society ought to counsel the parents to transfer, gestate, and bring home these their own children. Instead, some fertility clinics facilitate other couples to take possession of them. Current state regulations, where they exist at all, treat these as transactions wherein property changes hands. 
governed by contract law rather than prioritizing the children's best interests. In 1997, Nightlight Christian Adoptions began arranging embryo adoptions with the same sensitivities as born child adoption. Their Snowflakes program, outlined at nightlight.org, has coordinated donation of some 1,600 IVF embryos and the birth of over 750. They don't treat parents as buyers and sellers. They match and place with care according to standard adoption best practices. Nightlight's very first snowflake gave Lutheran parents John and Marlene Strege their daughter Hannah. Today, she's a 22 year old who attends university in California. Embryo adoption may save lives. Sadly, it doesn't eliminate the perils of in vitro fertilization, and it does raise additional difficulties. Embryo adoption may incentivize further in vitro fertilization by offering an excuse that eases the consciences of doctors and couples who bring the embryos into being and then abandon them. Recall also that gestating the children of one couple in the womb of another woman does not embody God's ideal design for one flesh marriage and procreation. Many couples who pursue adoption, including embryo adoption, do so because of the same infertility struggles that propel IVF. These may result from abnormalities that could decrease a transferred embryo's probability of implanting and surviving pregnancy. Embryo adoption tempts. Toward eugenics as well. Many clinics advertise sex selection, genetic screenings, and preference of other characteristics for their clients who are engaging in embryo adoption. Some object to the term embryo adoption altogether because they feel it imparts too much personhood and humanity to the embryo and serves as a deterrent to abortion. And no legal policies presently prevent unsuitable families. From having at the children. Nevertheless, research seems to indicate that embryos can only survive frozen for so long. Without embryo adoption, it appears that only death awaits them. This concern for the children's needs compels Christians to consider embryo adoption and to celebrate receiving them as precious treasures from heaven. How could you condemn our child? What if someone I love has undergone in vitro fertilization? What if my child has come about because of it? Are you saying my baby shouldn't be, or my family is unholy? Any opposition to IVF has to acknowledge it stirs intense emotions. The desire for descendants comes from God. He has given us the sacred longing to hold one's own offspring. Having babies happens because of His heavenly blessing. Genesis 1 And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Pregnancy only occurs in accordance with God's will, and while pregnancy may follow from sins, pregnancy itself is Not a sin. Our procreation participates in God's own miraculous activity. It doesn't operate as a mechanical or automatic reproduction as if it were apart from our Creator. Only the Lord opens or closes wombs. Genesis 29. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. She said to Jacob, Give me children or I shall die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? So, whatever the circumstances or mechanisms of conception, it always constitutes a gift of God. Psalm 127. Behold, children 
are a heritage from the Lord. Every child, regardless of origins, warrants our rejoicing. It's no surprise either that the devil directly assaults this privilege. When sin intruded into human nature, it significantly impacted childbearing, making it more difficult and at times impossible. Genesis 3, to the woman God said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. Satan uses infertility as an opportune time to transform desires into idols and twist sinfulness from gifts. Not every strategy or solution for childlessness channels the good and gracious will of God. Abduction and adultery, for example, do not make God-pleasing means of obtaining a family. We can disagree with in vitro fertilization without disregarding the disappointment of infertility or the delight of the little ones that it brings. Sons and daughters bear no blame for their parents' errors, and God regularly forges good from not good. But he He never mistakes the one for the other or mingles them the way that we do. Our resistance to in vitro fertilization acknowledges this, that ironically, our efforts to save ourselves from loneliness only thrust us even deeper into that misery. So we decline IVF trusting that the Heavenly Father only says no to things that are bad for us and only because he shouts yes to things that are far better. Furthermore, his forgiveness for all our disobedience, his grace in our Savior's forsakenness upon a cross. This relieves and resolves our solitudes with words and ways that our technologies never will. The Lord's compassion revives not only his own son, but us as well from death. And this assures us that ultimately our Heavenly Father will not let us lack for anything we need, and he will give us more than we can either ask or even imagine. In a moment, we'll investigate some alternatives to in vitro fertilization. You're listening to Life Minded from Lutherans for Life. Have you suffered an abortion? Has somebody you love? There is a word of hope. Call 1-888-21-STORY. Completely confidential, distinctively Lutheran, 24 hours a day and toll free. You can be free from abortion, guilt, and grief. Your life matters as much as the one that was lost. The Heavenly Father has healing forgiveness for you. Call 1-888-21-STORY. That's 1-888-217-8679. Or visit word-of-hope.org. Your Heavenly Father has a word of hope for hearts broken by abortion. When is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday? Is it already passed? Well, I have good news. Your church can celebrate it any time. And I have even better news. God makes every human life precious. You can make your community glad with the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. Lutherans for Life has an order of service, model sermon manuscripts, bulletin inserts, and everything you need to plan a positive and powerful Life Sunday. Download free at lutheransforlife.org. Welcome back to Life Minded, the podcast of Lutherans for Life, equipping gospel-motivated voices for life. I'm Michael Solomink. Today, we're examining in vitro fertilization. We've reviewed how IVF works and the dangers it involves. We've reflected on embryo adoption and how we ought to regard the parents and children that IVF creates. Now we're exploring the alternatives. What alternatives can give us a child of our own? 
Despite discomfort with in vitro fertilization, we do not abandon our brothers and sisters who struggle with infertility. We advocate God-given, genuine medical treatment options, natural procreative technology, described at naprotechnology.com, investigates, diagnoses, and remedies men's and women's reproductive disorders rather than simply sidestepping them. This nationwide network of practitioners engages in fertility care instead of fertility control. Also, we may encourage couples who want to parent but cannot conceive to consider foster care or born child adoption, as these means may meet, most importantly, the children's needs, but also satisfy the adult's desires. Of course, we remember and emphasize that foster care and adoption do not serve simply as solutions to infertility, but primarily as mercies shown to children who don't have permanent or stable homes. And thus, we all can contemplate how we might open our hands to help and support the children awaiting adoption, whatever our family or fertility circumstances. Whether or not we have children, but especially in the despair that being childless brings, we can remind one another to find our worth and purpose in God's gratefulness towards us. That is, in His fatherhood, not our own. We can reject the pressure to pursue childbearing as an achievement, a status, or a salvation. We recognize that our culture often defines matters of medicine and sexuality as private, which can leave brothers and sisters suffering infertility, feeling isolated and grieving alone. So the Christian community continues to comfort and accompany one another in carrying crosses together. The body of Christ prays with and for hurting couples, mourns their losses together, and shares in their anxieties and their anticipations. This faith and fellowship empowers us, if we must, even to accept infertility as a vocation, a sacred calling of God's mysterious wisdom by which we may benefit our neighbors. And we rest in the promises of everlasting life and the new creation when the parts of our bodies that have fallen asleep will awaken at the voice of him who has begotten us already by the cleansing of holy baptism. He can call into being things that are not. And out of stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. For Lutherans for Life, I'm Michael Solomink. For more information about the joy of the gospel and the sanctity of life, visit www.lutheransforlife.org. That's www.lutheransforlife.org. Until next time, thank you for listening to Life Mind, and remember that great minds think of life.